Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your host, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And it's always good to be with you. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Father Travis, you, we're just diving in right now, you are now a priest for over a year. Congratulations. Thank you. A year and a month or so. Yeah. And as a priest now, in your infinite wisdom and, you know, all this experience that you've been racking up over 13 months, yes, um, I'm sure you've had the opportunity to give communion on the tongue to people. Not as often as I'd probably well, want, because it's been the pandemic stuff. But the yes, pandemic has and, changed and that and a little bit. And as a deacon and seminary and lots of stuff like that, yes. Yeah. It's happened. As the, as the pandemic has shifted that, I, and I, I, I didn't bring it up because we're going to get into all the politics as to whether or not yeah, communion yeah, yeah, should yeah. have been limited on the tongue during the pandemic. Right. I'm not getting into that. Right. However, I just want to, <laughs> uh, I just want to give like a a little description as we as we just carry on here to some of our listeners of what it's like from the priest perspective oh, yeah. to give communion on the tongue because there's different to, there's just, different things that happen and I've categorized or them or just to give communion in general right because I, yeah because I could just see this as like well it's awkward so don't receive on the tongue people this is just so funny the first thing at mass is this it's like nobody thinks that anybody else can see them doing weird things because everybody <laughs> faces the same direction. Sure. But especially when you're sitting down or any time in the liturgy when you're facing the people, you see everybody. Right. But nobody thinks that anybody else is looking at them. So right. people yawn with crazy, weird faces. Right. People just like do a lot of weird stuff where they're sitting in the pews. And the priest see it all. The priest sees everything. Yeah, just like the teacher sees everything in the classroom. It's just right? so, yeah, it's just so funny. But then uh, the communion thing's hilarious. I got to say, first of all, at seminary, we use like communion patents, like sure. a little with the handle thing on it. Sure. And that was just another thing. Cause like you started doing it at a certain point um, in theology and to be like right up in a guy's grill and the, <laughs> to watch the weird ways that all these guys would open their mouths. My favorite's the one where you have this like very serious face, but then when you stick your tongue out, you're like, open your eyes really wide and like look up to the ceiling. And I mean, it was like to not laugh sure. every time was just hilarious. Sure. Um, but then there's all the different styles. There's lots of styles, you know, uh, certain ethnic groups kind of do the coin slot, you know, just like barely parting the lips. And so you that just they have can to like, bite it. Cause well, yes, they, like, they want to bite. They take, yeah. yeah. And they, they just want to kind of clamp down with their limbs lips. So you just kind of have this little coin slot and you just know where to let go. Well, and that doesn't always work. Cause sometimes I've ran the host, you know, the precious body and blood and of our teeth. Lord and savior right into the front teeth. Cause they got you know? clenched. Yeah. They've got their teeth clenched and they want to bite down with their lips. That's awkward. <laughs> and then, then there's the, then there's like the lizard who wants to come in and like lick the host out of your hand. Have you ever had that? Mm-hmm. You know, they just kind of want to, moisten and grab <laughs> oh my gosh wow moisture than an oyster wow. yeah, moisture than an oyster so i that's always a difficult one and <laughs> i have had some parishioners who kind of do like this sweeping motion with their head they want to come in and bite almost like a like a hawk is sweeping sweeping in to like grab its prey well, that's people the sweeping thing people i realize that it's like so some parishes still use them communion rails or back in the day 
it's like a stationary experience. Like you would be like stuck in one spot for a moment. Right. But people, they come kind of rolling down. If the church especially has like a little incline grade in like the, in the aisle, sometimes people just, it's like this kind of rolling motion. And I've had a few older ladies almost like trip and fall. It's like, just <laughs> slow her down. Sure. Like it's going to be okay. <laughs> just one step at a time. Yeah. You know, this isn't, we don't have to roll out the, of a moving vehicle here. Right, we just, right. we can stop and receive our Lord reverently. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school, there was, I, I, I saw a teenage girl who had a tongue piercing. She stuck her tongue out to receive the, the sacred host. It's an interesting juxtaposition I would have expected. I know. Uh, you know Someone I kinda, with a tongue I piercing. I kind of like how spicy that is. It's it like, is spicy. It's like, wow, you're like, it's like you have a particular <laughs> devotion to receiving the tongue, but also the type of person to get a tongue piercing. Yeah, she was doing that's, her thing. That's great. I'm not sure what that was about. Anyway, she, I saw it. And uh, the priest put the host right on the piercing. And it fell off. And it fell off, and then it came out of her mouth, and she bobbled it with her hands, and she mm-hmm. did catch it, and then she reconsumed. So thank God that you know nothing, nothing was desecrated or didn't get any more awkward than that because it was already really awkward. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I think the dentist image is the best approach. So for anyone okay. out there, uh, or just like the doctor's visit, anyone yeah. out there, when the doctor says, open wide and say, ah, mm. <laughs> Ah, that's that's, that's really the best approach. Yep. And then the priest can just simply place well, our please, Lord on the tongue. Please give that. I mean, for our brother priest who might be listening, there's a there's a method as to not get licked. Yes. Now, how do you do it? Because I might, I think we do it slightly different. But I've so I learned this from Monsignor McCoy when he was rector at the North American College uh-huh. uh, when I was in seminary. You know, if you just hold the very bottom yep. edge and you balance the whole back of it with your thumb. Mm-hmm. You can just simply place it on the tongue. You yeah. don't get licked. Yep. It's very hygienic. Right. It's fine. Yep. But unless you have a biter this whole, well, who wants to come whole, in and bite your fingers off. Correct. If Father Mason would do this whole like from the top move. Oh. And some guy, I think some guys think that that way you can set the host down and let it fall without. But that inevitably. No, you're going to get licked. He just, well, he just kind of, <laughs> he shoves his hand in your mouth. Like, oh, just no, that's aggressive. It's aggressive. So yeah. anyways, receiving communion ought to be a very beautiful and prayerful thing. It's whether supposed it's to be on reverent. the hand, whether it's on the tongue, but it's always, it can be awkward too. Yeah. And the other, uh, the other hilarious thing I have to say is that um, in the current rite of the Roman church, we respond, amen, when we receive communion. Mm-hmm. The random people who have said something other than amen is just hilarious. When they're just kind of out of it, zoning out. Sure. I've had a few people that are like, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm like, uh-huh. that's beautiful, but I don't know if that's what you're supposed to say. Sure. Or the best is, thank you. <laughs> that's the best one. Thank you. Thank you. Good father. Or good, good sermon today, Father. Thank you. Good homily. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or then... um the kids, I, the funniest thing that happened was, so there's a, some, some, some parishes will, the priest will bless kids who are not quite of the age to receive communion. Other parishes, they just say like, receive Jesus in your heart. Mm-hmm. Other parishes, they just don't come up at all. Right. And St. Louis, at one point, a kid came up and I just leaned down to him, didn't do anything with my hands. I just said, receive the Lord in your heart. Amen. And he turned around and looked at his mom with a very like disgruntled face. His mom just said, can you just touch his head? <laughs> So I just, I just touched, I just patted the top of his head, and he smiled and, and walked. That's away. what he needed. Yeah, just a little head, head pat. Okay, good for him. That's great. <laughs> you know, Father, I know you were recently in Chicago for Chi Town little vacation, and I too was there. I don't know if our dates overlapped. Um, little shout out to Father Tim Monahan, the vocation director for the Archdiocese of Chicago, doing great work. Um, got a chance to catch up with him and some friends while I was in Chicago. Did you listen to, so maybe you probably didn't. I don't know if this is your kind of vibe. Um, the song Homecoming by Kanye West is all about Chicago. It's right. like a personification of the city. 
you so know, if one listens to Homecoming while driving around Chicago, that's a particular kind of experience. You know, it didn't dawn on me to go rent the convertible and blare that driving down Michigan Avenue, but okay. I guess there's always we there's so always a, a redo Father Chicago Tom, there's trip. There's always it's not that far away. Right. Father Thomas and I were driving back from Indiana seeing a family that we knew and we were kind of driving like south of the downtown area listening to Homecoming and, it was and just, see the sky rise it was just approaching. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Chicago. You just felt like you were in your groove, didn't you? It's a vibe, as the kids say. <laughs> what uh, what did you do in Chi-Town? So one of the things I wanted to discuss today is, um, among many things that we did, we did uh, stop into the uh, Chicago Art Institute for a little bit. We wanted to check out some art, and we were there on a Saturday. So there's lots of families around, which is beautiful. It was nice to see, you know, all these families, people young and old, coming to check out, oh, yeah. you know, beautiful art, Um elements of western culture um and to spend their time just kind of wanting to absorb beauty mm-hmm. you know that was great i was glad i was glad to see just a packed uh, museum did you get to it, see my least favorite thing in an art museum is when people take selfies with the art you know i didn't see that i i've been to the art institute in chicago one time right we were there in the last half hour it was open so it only cost like five dollars to go mm-hmm. but we were like blitzing through this place to try to see these beautiful pieces of art there was a girl who was in there at the same time as us who wasn't even facing the pieces of art. She would just sidestep and just selfie in front of these famous images. Maybe there was an artistic expression to say, I'm the art. Ooh. Not wow. the There's a hilarious not the Rembrandt have behind seen, me. Have you seen Portlandia before? <laughs> no. Are you familiar with it at all? I've heard of it. Don't yeah, there's just it. like a really funny one making fun of like contemporary art exhibits oh, sure. and the little cards that say who the artist is in the medium. Sure. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger where like real life situations like a car crash is itself an art piece so oh back to the art institute of chicago okay random association there I good job father share that thanks you're welcome um anyways father tom father tim monahan and i were in chicago went to the art institute it was packed all these people were walking around and we we were looking at medieval and renaissance art mm. we kind of just focused on those sections looked at a little bit of impressionism as well um but went back to medieval and to Renaissance art, most of which is all Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Most of which is all taken from former churches or even, you know... Hospital chapels and stuff like that. Yeah, and has been kind of... I know there's a huge debate whether or not these these elements belong back into a church where they yeah. were a, a, a originally... Altar pieces and stuff, right? Yeah, they were originally intended to be sacred art, perhaps even have been blessed as sacred art, um, Sometimes there's like reliquaries in. Yeah, well, they, they actually had reliquaries, right. actual saint uh, relics in the. Uh, yeah, that's kind of weird. Kind of, and there's this huge debate. Well, you know, if you put them in churches, no one's going to see them. If you put them in the museums, yeah. everyone's going to appreciate them. So, right. anyways, but we were walking around, and one of the things that Father Tim and I noticed in the medieval and the Renaissance section, with so much sacred art, so much uh, Christian themes. Uh, you know, maybe Jesus calming the storm with the apostles crying out in the boat, um, images of saints, images of, of scripture, um, scenes of maybe depicting the life of Jesus or even the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary, maybe scenes depicting the mysteries of the rosary. All these types of themes are just very present, you know, throughout sacred, you know, art of all mm-hmm. that, those eras. And in walking around, um, it was very humbling because Father Tim and I actually noticed we belong to a very, very small minority among those art patrons. Mm-hmm. We belong to a minority 
who can actually interpret what that art is saying. Um, now, we have been very blessed, you know, and have, uh, have received uh, education in Europe. So we've had the opportunity to go to some of these places that the art is depicting, maybe where the art was originally hung. Mm-hmm. We know some of the places where the artists are from or know some through just, you know, art history lessons, know a little bit about the artists themselves. Right. So just educationally, uh, it was, it was, it's humbling to know a lot about the background behind these artists and their works. But just in general, we just noticed there was a lot of people wandering around these art rooms, these exhibits, who didn't appear to be able to interpret what they were looking at. Mm. You know, uh, an image of like the beheading of John the Baptist, which, you know, could be terrifying for and gruesome for anyone who actually doesn't understand Scripture. Right. But when you come at it from a Christian vision, from a, a, from a, a religious lens, you immediately don't see this as a gruesome decapitation. Right. You know, your immediate image is, well, this is the saint, the cousin of Jesus, giving his all in martyrdom mm-hmm. as a precursor, as the last of the Old Testament prophets, as a precursor to, you know, the Lamb of God who himself will give his life. Um, you know, there were several wooden, hand-carved, wooden, painted crucifixes uh, from the uh, 1300s in the sure. medieval section. Gorgeous pieces that, you know, have a, a, have a style from the, the medieval epic of, of their own. You know, and to be able to interpret these pieces to say these once hung in churches, mm-hmm. you know, for at least 700 years, uh, people have prayed in front of these images and used this sacred art as a portal uh, into heavenly realities, to sacred realms. Right. Um, and to know that people were just walking by these things without a Christian perspective, which not only just kind of impoverishes them to not understand Western civilization, right. Uh, which has been primarily Christian, but to not even be able to interpret the richness of what is in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a very, very humbling experience in which, you know, once again, we're seeing Western civilization losing its grips on how to be able to tell its own story, which is primarily Christian, right? That's ongoing. That's what I think I'm realizing is when I've had the same experience in the same and different art galleries, the realization is that, okay, this this impressive, <laughs> that's funny, impressionism and impressive, but this impressive Monet, like water lilies, that's huge, giant, mm-hmm. like 10 feet long on the wall. That was painted to hang in a gallery. Like, right. that's what it was for. Um, and that's true with a lot of paintings, c- contemporary and then kind of up until, but liturgical paintings like that, paintings, statues. Triptychs. Triptychs, all that, yeah. especially triptychs, or like an altarpiece, or even like sometimes they'll have choir stalls or processional crucifix or reliquaries and all these things. They have impressive craftsmanship, and I think people appreciate that. Like, wow, look at the silver working of this processional cross. Look at the look at the detail of the paint or, or something like that that's present there. But these things were, were made for disciples of Jesus to help them engage the relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And like, that's still who we are. That's still what we're doing. And so sometimes the kind of approach to Western civilization to see that it was built by the church is to say, well, yeah, but the church failed in so many ways. So look at this. No, wait, we're still actually alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still a continuation of our story. So it's good to know the history, but it's not like a dead kind of history. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that these saints are still with us in heaven at every mass. Very much alive. Very much alive. Probably yeah. more alive than we are. Right. And then this this person of Jesus who we see isn't just some kind of, um, kind of like a, a Greek god or like a statue or the ideal kind of man within a statue of, of Greek uh, statuary. 
no, this, this is a person um, that we love, that mm-hmm. we know, mm-hmm. that, we, that we cherish, that we um, experience through the scriptures and the, and the sacraments. And that we worship. And we worship. And yeah. I think what's so important is to remember that while we do feel so outcast from our current society because we are this like small minority who actually have some connection and ability to interpret what's going on in this artwork, our story is still alive. Mm-hmm. That artwork is the same story that the artwork of our current churches that we celebrate mass in every single day is. Like that processional crucifix accomplishes the same goal as the processional crucifixes we use now. Right. Um, it just it just helps to to root us in our story that is ongoing. Right. Yeah. I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. I know Bishop Barron and, and many other evangelists, many other philosophers, theologians have pointed to arguments of beauty in defense of the faith for contemporary believers or non-believers. You know, beauty tends to be kind of arresting. It, right. it kind of stops you in your track and you're like, whoa, look at that beauty. Right. What's behind that? Why does that beauty exist? You know, so there's, there's some persuasive evangelical arguments uh, regarding beauty. But in terms of all the beauty that hang in these museums, um, there's a beauty in being able to tell your story mm. from a Christian perspective. And it's, it's, li- it's alive and it's hanging in these museums, especially you know, from the medieval and Renaissance eras. But even, even there's contemporary religious art you know, that is available in, in art exhibits, galleries, and whatnot. Um, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. I wonder if some of our parishes need to start organizing just pilgrimages to museums, huh. you know, to, really to, to see to, this stuff, to see it, but also to help people tell their story. Mm. I mean, cause you can tell a story by wandering around the art galleries and describe the story of how art changed over the centuries, how there was progression in different styles, different media, whatever. But then you can also just tell the story of Christianity, you know, Look at this piece here, you know, in the prophets of the Old Testament, what do they represent? Who are they, who are they kind of a precursor for? Um, these nativity scenes, you mm-hmm. know, how, how did Jesus take flesh? How did God come to earth and visit his people? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, crucifixion scenes, obviously, assumption or coronation of Mary images, Pentecost images. Um, you, you can walk around and visually tell a story uh, of our story of salvation history, not only through the sacred art that is in churches, but also in some of these great world museums. Right. Um, and, and there's just a lot of people who I think need to be helped because even if they are Christian nominally, or even in just in their general practice, they might not know, not, they might not know how to tell their story. Right. And some of these visual depictions can help that. And I've noticed too, not to, to understand that our story is larger than our like small locale. So I've noticed that with, I'm from this small town of like 60 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and people might feel this with neighborhoods and cities or small towns around the Midwest or our diocese, that my experience of the church of Christianity of Catholicism is limited to this small parish that I have. So positive experiences are tied to this space. Negative experiences are tied to this space. So having not been able to have the exposure to the universal church, both in its people from all over the world, but also in its expression of the story that expands through the centuries that's still present in art and music and architecture, things like that. We can have just this limited scope and feel even more outcast um, as the culture around us just um, becomes more and more secular. But to know our story through the, the kind of the living artifacts that are still present um, in church buildings, like I mentioned uh, last week in Chicago 
or these cities that have these big churches, some of the beautiful churches we have, but preserved from the Middle Ages right. before in these museums. Yeah. Right. So, I, you know, we don't have a lot of solutions here to all of our listeners. We're just kind of bantering here. But um, I think it's important as we look at sacred art and as you visit museums, how is it that you know how to tell your own story? And these, these uh, visual depictions, whether it's sculpture, painting, um, whatever it might be, these visual depictions really help us tell our story. They impact the imagination. They help us connect the dots of different scripture images and just different key points, benchmarks in salvation history that God has come to redeem his people. Um, I would just offer this as a kind of fun suggestion. Sure. One of, uh, one of my sister, Carolyn, who was on here, mm-hmm. um, one of her favorite ways to visit an art museum, and we've done this before at the Smithsonian. We were there for the March for Life and things like that. If you go with a group of people to an art museum, and I think we've mentioned before where some are, but um, in Omaha, there's a free art museum. The Nelson Atkins in Kansas City is free. These have some pretty impressive pieces. Um, Chicago's not far. But to split up and to find your favorite things that sort of arrested you by their beauty or their content, or Mm. especially in this way, how they tell the Christian story. Mm -hmm. And then so because it can be fun to walk around together, which is good, but it's a very contemplative experience to just engage the piece of art alone by yourself and then to regroup at some point and then to go and show each other the ones that impressed you the most nice and to explain why they did. And it's great. It's a beautiful experience of like, um, like we talked about Lexio Divina, Holy reading the scriptures. It's like a Visio Divina. It's like Mm. a contemplative prayer through kind of an art medium. And that can expand beyond the, um, the Christian art that's present there, but especially with those beautiful pieces of Christian art. Oh, how nice. Good suggestion from you and Sister Carolyn. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out to the Franciscan Sisters of the Martyr St. George and Sister Carolyn. That's good. Yeah. Friends, it's good to be with you. Uh, Keep learning how to tell your story. Keep diving into uh, some of these different art forms. And uh, hopefully they just help build up the faith and evangelize others. God bless. Father Travis, thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time. And God bless. God bless.